Amen. All right. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and get it out and turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 5. Super excited to be here with you guys. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath a chair near you. Um, and uh, just grab that Bible, make it your own if you don't have one. And uh, turn, I believe it's page 913 is going to be where we're going to start today. And uh, that's going to be, we're going to be continuing our, our series entitled Radical, um, When Radical Becomes Normal. So it's pretty uh, interesting time right now. We just started a, uh, a new sermon series, this, this, this Radical Sermon Series. And last week we talked about radical generosity. And we heard the vision that God has given our church to uh, be a church planting church, that sort of thing. So very exciting time. Um, we're going to continue uh, this, this sermon series. And now we're going to chapter number five of this particular, um, this particular book. So Acts chapter five. You know, one of the things I wanted to say before we get started is it's amazing when you think about it that the, God created the entire universe by speaking his words, um, by speaking words and it created. Like he just, it's, he spoke and it happened. Um, and you think about, he creates with his word, he destroys with his word, he builds up, he tears down, all with the power of his word. And when we get together like this, like, and we hold in our hands, in the palm of our hands, the power of God's word, that's pretty stinking awesome, right? I mean, that is, if we're worshiping God, that's, this is pretty amazing, right? So this is where we're going to be, Acts chapter 5. I was just motivated by that this morning. I wanted to share that with you, get our minds wrapped around the power of this book um, as we get ready to dive into this text. Um, before we do that, though, look down at your, at your outline if you're taking notes. Notice the, the name, the title of the sermon, Selfish Generosity. Like, what is that, Right? I mean, how you, this? that's like an oxymoron, like selfish, I'm going to give to you, but I'm going to hold back, right? Um, what does that mean? Well, help me illustrate, to explain what I mean when I say selfish generosity. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer the question in your own heart and mind, all right? Have you ever given something away to somebody before and thought to yourself, you know what, I really don't want to give you this right now. You ever been there? Everybody over there? Okay. All right, I got one hand. Fantastic. Well, here's, here's the thing. Since there's only one honest person in the room beside myself, no. Um, one of the things that selfish, self, most of us, like this is the norm. You know, the title was um, radical, when radical becomes norm. The norm for all of us in this room, we would have to admit, it's kind of like this, this uh, tendency of, okay, I'm going to give to you, but I'm hoping that I get something in return here, right? This is going to be an even exchange. Um, as a, as a, I'm going to help explain this a little bit more. Are there any money savers in the room right now? Anybody who's a saver um, likes to save money? Okay, how many of the spenders? Any spenders in the house? All right, okay, more spend, always more spenders, always. Um, now, in every good relationship, you have a saver and a spender. At least that's the way it is in my, in my relationship with my, I'm the saver. I was like, I, I am cheap. I'll just be honest with you. I am cheap. Someone told me once that I am so cheap that I would pinch the hide off of a buffalo nickel. Like, I don't even know what that means. Is that offensive or what? Um, I, don't, I don't like to say I'm not cheap. I'm frugal is what I like to tell people. I'm just a frugal guy. Um, no, when I was, when I actually, I was raised in a pretty, you know, uh, frugal home. And as a kid, I, my dad, um, somehow I acquired these, um, these piggy banks. Does anybody uh, um, happen to have, like when you were kids, you had a piggy bank growing up? Okay. Well, I happen to have two piggy banks. For, I'm, I'm, that's how tight I am. I'm cheap, right? I had two piggy banks. I was like boss baby when I came out, right? Both time, I'm ready to go. Calculator, pen, ready to do this. So anyway, I was a pretty frugal kid, and my brother, um, he, he had a piggy bank too, but his piggy bank broke. 
Well, I had two, see, I was a boy, right? So we don't have piggy banks as boys, right? That's what I thought. I have a froggy bank. So let me show you my, a picture of my froggy bank. And don't rip on it. I know it's kind of ugly, but it, it served me well as a kid. And uh, this was my, my little savings bank. And I had this as a kid, and I saved my money. Well, my brother, as I said earlier, his piggy bank broke. And I had two of these things. Um, and uh, my, my dad, Italian guy, comes up and says, son, Joseph, very intimidating. He says, Joseph, you know, don't you think... Um, you should give one of your uh, extra piggy to your brother. And I said, um, no, <laughs> I don't think that at all. It's not my fault. He broke it. It's his fault. And so I, my, anyway, my dad says, okay. All right, he just walks away, nods his head and walks away. And for, for him, that was, a, that was scary. My dad doesn't just walk away like that, right? He bites his lip and walks out the door. So I thought to myself, I'm in trouble. I need to give, him, I need to give my extra piggy bank to my brother. So I kind of came up with this plan. I said, okay, I'm going to give my brother uh, the extra piggy bank that I really, you know, I can transfer my funds from this account to this account. I mean, boss baby in the house. I'm transferring funds, and I, I get the whole thing done. So I finally give him the piggy bank, the extra piggy bank. And now, as a kid, you would think, oh, that's just so nice. It's so generous for a little boy to give something that he really liked away to his other brother. Well, if you were to peel back the layers of my heart, you would see that, man, I was so selfish. Like, I did that because, one, I didn't want my dad to be mad at me anymore. He was mad at me. That Italian, he had this, like, unibrow thing going. It was, it was just scary. So, and then I, I also didn't want, I didn't want my brother to know that I was sacrificing here. I mean, come on. You owe me now, buddy. You owe me. I'm sacrificing a little here. You need to understand that. Very self-motivated. And in reality, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today from the passage we're going to be in. Um, see, last week we were, in this, we were seeing all these neat things that were happening in the early church. The, the, the writer of this book is called, his name is Luke, and he's recording to, uh, for us all of the neat things that were happening. These people were being so moved by the gospel, they understood that Jesus radically demonstrated generosity towards us. Isn't that while we were still sinners rebelling against God, he stepped in and our place endured our wrath that we deserve and then he offered to us his righteousness so that way from this point on, every time God looks at us, he sees Jesus' innocence, not our sin. Like that's amazing. So these people were so motivated by this good news that they themselves wanted to, be, they wanted to show forth this, this generosity to the people that were in the church. People are being saved, like thousands of people being saved. The church grew rapidly. And so the, all these needs started bubbling up. And so all, there were some people in the church that said, you know what? Jesus gave us a lot. We're going to give a lot to, back to the Lord. So we're going to sell some of our property. We're going to liquidate some of our assets. And we're going to give to help accomplish the work of the Lord and to meet the needs of the, of the body. That's what was happening. And so when we come to this particular, so it's just a warm, very friendly, very joy-filled time in the church. And then we come to our text, which now the scene gets really dark, really dreary, and quite frankly, it gets dangerous. Um, and so I, this is contrary to popular opinion, I realize that, um, but I really do not believe that a preacher should have the option to be able, when he's preaching God's word, to cast a specific message in a positive or a negative way. I don't think you have the option. Here at Harvest, Bible is in our middle name, Harvest Bible Chapel. And we believe that when you preach God's word, you preach what God's word says and how God's word says it. So that being said, you notice the subtitle here. How, how you can live a selfishly generous life and lose everything in the process. That's like, that's a, who wants that? You're going to teach me how to lose my life here? Well, that's what the Bible's doing. 
I want to show you the warning that we find in this text so that we would heed the warning, that we won't make the same mistake that was made here. That's the, that's the thing I want, to, I want you to understand. So when we come to this passage, um, I don't actually want you to do these things. I want you to actually not do these things so we can avoid the outcome uh, that happens in this passage. But the passage is written in a negative way so we can get the warning. Um, so, let's, uh, if you're, so if you're ready, um, say amen. All right, let's do this. We're going to talk about three proven ways we can give out of selfish generosity and lose everything. Um, before we do that, though, let's pray. Let's ask God to just uh, meet with us here and uh, help us to inspect our own hearts. Lord, we come to you humbly, God. Lord, there is truly none like you. And I pray that you would help us understand the weight of that statement today. God, I pray that you will increase our awareness of how big you really are, and I pray that you will cause a, the right heart of worship to swell up inside of us. And please help us to, through the power of your spirit and the power of your word, will you convict us of areas in our hearts where we have drifted from you and where we have, we have allowed things to creep up into our lives that has the potential to destroy us. Oh God, I pray you would enlighten our hearts Change us this morning, we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, so let's get into it. Let's start in verse number one of uh, Acts chapter five, how to uh, live selfishly generous. Verse number one says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now notice the word but as the whole thing begins. There's a chapter break here, but in the actual, in actual language, there's no chapter break, okay? There is a, there's not, it's not, this is when chapter breaks don't really serve the scriptures well. We believe that the words of God are inspired, not the chapter breaks and not the verse numbers. That's, not, that's all added by men. But he's the, the writer of this particular story, he's just telling us one story. He said, look, last week we talked about radical generosity and the church was on fire for God. People's lives were being changed. And this one guy, in verse 36, we learn this guy named Joseph shows up on the scene. And this guy, what a cool name, by the way. I love that name, Joseph. Such a fantastic, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so Joseph shows up on the scene, and by the way, they renamed him Barnabas. That's another story. So if you guys know, some of you guys who've been around a while know that Barnabas was actually like the co-partner with the Apostle Paul later to come, who was like the father of church planting. But, but now, this is the first time we encounter Joseph or Barnabas, and we find this man, he had some money, he had some possessions. And because he was so gripped by the gospel of what Jesus has done for him, he took his properties and liquidated it for cash, brought it to the apostles' feet and said, look, our church is growing rapidly. This church is exploding, and there's a lot of needs that are bubbling up to the surface. Take all of this money that I got from selling this property, and you use it and distribute it appropriately, okay? Whatever you need to do, you do it. And he walks away. And now we come to this passage with the first word of but. In other words, there's a drastic difference from what was happening in Barnabas's heart and what we're going to talk about in this passage, okay? Are you catching that? So with that said, let's keep reading. What was so different? Well, we got Ananias and Sapphira. There's this, a couple, all right? Uh, the married couple, they sold a piece of property just like Bar- Barnabas did in verse two. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Oh, that sounds, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, come on, right? I mean, we, 
He just meets with his wife, say, hey, honey, look, you know, we got this property, and we're going to sell some of this property and, you know, liquidate it for cash, and, and, just go, and we'll set aside some for our retirement or whatever it is, and, and we'll go and just give the rest of the church to meet the needs. I mean, that sounds harmless, right? There's nothing wrong with that. At face value, it's innocent. Keep reading verse 3. Now Peter asks him a very heart-penetrating question that he never asked himself. Ananias, verse 3. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the Lord or of the land? I, what just happened here? Like I thought everything was good, and all of a sudden he's saying, "Why have has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit?" How, first of all, how did Peter even know that? Like, what is he in the bedroom when the conversation happened? All right, but, but the Holy Spirit brought this to, atten- to his attention. Because the issue here is that Ananias never one time asked himself the question, why do I even want to give? Like, what's the purpose of, my, of this giving thing anyway? So here's the first point I want you to write down if you're taking notes. The number one, first thing we're going to talk about, how you can live a selflessly generous life. First, don't check your motives. Don't you, don't you dare do that. Uh-uh. Slap that hand. Don't you check the motive. Because if you check your motives, and you might discover there's, you've got a twisted motive in there. Kind of like Ananias and Sapphira. Peter's confronting him because he didn't do this. Church, we are being challenged, actually invited by God in the season of our church to see God do a wonderful thing with us as a family. God's inviting us to just Trust him in the season of generosity. But hear me when I say this. When we are stepping into a season of generosity, please do not take a step without checking the motive for why you want to be generous. I'm going to share with you just four practical things that you can look out for in our hearts um, as you ask yourself these questions. I want you to ask yourself four questions. And they go like this. When I give... These are common self uh, motives, selfish motives. When I give, am I giving out of, or am I, gi- am I giving so that I can get people's attention? Am I giving to get people's attention? I, obviously, we see Ananias. Um, now, you heard me say I was cheap earlier, right? So I have this fake money up here, this uh, junior monopoly money. Did you think I was going to bring the real thing? So, so cheap, man. I got my froggy piggy bank. No, we're going to use this as an illustration, okay? So Ananias gathers his, his, his belongings, sells his possessions, comes to the, uh, the church with cash in hand, right? Cash in hand, and then lays the cash at the altar where the apostle is seated. And, but I believe with all my heart, based on what's happening in the scene, just imagine it. He, before he even laid that down, he's looking around to see who's in the room. Like, oh, man, everybody in the room, I want them to see me drop this $100 bill. I'm going to drop some money. There we go, yo. Did you see that? I mean, you can't help but believe because now he's, he's addressing this issue. What are you doing? Why are you giving this way? Okay, if you're giving out of trying to get people's attention, you know what that is? Write this down. It's self-promotion. You're trying to promote yourself. You're wanting people to see you. You want people to bask in your generosity compare themselves to you. Wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm living, I'm stretching it. Conversations come up in small group. Yeah, you know how much I'm giving? You know how much I gave? Well, the Lord, the Lord told me to give. Man, you don't know. You don't need to be telling. That's between you and the Lord. 
okay? God's doing a work on your heart, not on their, it doesn't care. It's not about the money in your checking account. It's, it's about what God's doing in your heart. But be careful. Check your heart. I'm checking my heart this week. I'm still checking my heart. God, please, if I'm doing anything for people to see me, stop me, God. Stop me. Check my heart. Second thing, not only am I, am I giving to get people's attention, am I giving to get God's acceptance? God's acceptance. In other words, sometimes we can give because we want God to love us more, don't we? You know, God, I, I, wanna, I want you to know that I love you more, and, and because, I'm gonna give, because I'm giving you more money this week, God, um, will you love me more? Will you show me more favor this week as I go to work and as I get ready to get? If I give more money to you, God, will you give me that promotion at work? I so, I so badly want, God. Will you give that to me? Or, or better yet, um, God, I messed up this week. I, I blew it. I sinned against you, God, and you know I sinned against you. And I'm so sorry for what I did. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to give a little bit more in my tithe so that you, God, will, will do. That's, you know what you're doing? It's self-righteous is what that is. You're trying to get yourself to be right before God. You're trying to make yourself right before God. Listen, we struggle with this. We struggle with this in our hearts. But here's the reality. If you're a believer in Christ, you are already 100% accepted by God as you are right now. That's never gonna change. God always loves you. You are his beloved son. You're his beloved daughter. You have been adopted by him. You can't earn his acceptance. So this generosity thing, it's not about getting acceptance of God. It's about growing in my faith in God. I'm going to give money to you, Lord, because I, I believe you're faithful. You're going to take care of me. I'm not depending on this money, fake money. Um, I'm depending on you, God. That's where my confidence is coming from. So check your motive. Am I giving for God's acceptance? Third thing, am I giving to get rid of guilt? Ask yourself this question. Am I giving to get rid of guilt? Sometimes we'll give because we don't want to feel guilty about being left out, right? The church is moving into this incredible season of generosity, and I don't want to be left on the fringe. I don't want, to, I don't want, I don't want people to think less of me, so I'll give money, and I'll, I just want to feel better about myself. So I'm going to give to this cause, um, not for any other reason, but just, I just don't want to feel guilty as the plate wash... As, the, as this thing, whatever it is, a bag, right? This offering bag goes by me. I don't want to feel guilty because everyone's looking at me like, he hasn't, he hasn't given any money the, the past month. I've been watching. He hasn't given no money. Who's watching? Come on. That's not, that's not right. It, here's what this is. That's self-esteem. You're giving out of self-esteem. You're wanting to get, you want to feel better about yourself, so you're giving. Be careful for that. That's something we're going to struggle with as we go into this season. I'm telling you. And this last one, when I give, do I give to get more from God? Am I giving to get more from God? And that really is self-absorbed. That's, that's the point there. That's being self-absorbed. Hear what I mean by that, giving to get more from God. Um, sometimes, some of you guys who've been, have been saved for quite a while, you know those Bible verses, don't you? Giving it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, you know, running over. I don't even know if I said it right, but anyway, um, yeah, we know God's faithful, right? He's going to give back. So you know what? I'm going to give, I'm going to give $1,500 this week 
Because I'm, I'm expecting God. I'm believing God's going to give me $1,500 in the mailbox on Tuesday. Okay, what is that? Okay, first of all, that's twisting the promises of God to fit your own desires. You're, 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 you're wanting more stuff from God, so you're going to give up stuff for, to God. That's what you're doing. That's manipulation is what it is. I mean, that's all that is. If you think about it, um, you're, God promises he'll give you pressed down, shaken together, running over, but he never told you that he's going to give you more money as you give money to him. He doesn't care about money. Did you hear that? He cares about our hearts. He wants our hearts, church. So, with that said, um, just be careful about this. Don't, don't pursue this idea of, I'm going to give to get more from God. He will give you more. Sometimes, sometimes he will give you a trial. You know why he'll give you a trial? Because he wants, to, he wants to grow your patience. You know how you can tell if you're self-absorbed? This is a great test. How do you know if you're self-absorbed and you're giving? When a trial comes your way, after you've given so much money, and you're shaking your fist at God, God, I've been giving all this money to you. I'm sacrificing like crazy, and all you have to give me is trial after trial and drama. My mother-in-law hates me. I mean, whatever it is, right? Um, so the problem, here's the thing. If that's you, that is so obvious that you're giving to get something from God, not to give to, to, to God. You're believing God. So just check that motive. Am I giving for, for the, to get more from God? So there's four things I believe with all my heart will truly serve you well as we, including myself, are checking our motives. Please, let's do this, especially as we, as we continue in the season of generosity. So here's the point. It's, it is a most healthy thing to be suspicious of your heart. It is a very healthy thing to be suspicious of your heart. In fact, it could be said this way. Selfishness is the cesspool where sin develops best. Think about the, that, what I just said there. Selfishness in our hearts is this cesspool of nastiness that just breeds out an opportunity for corrupt sin to grow rapidly. So be mindful of this. Is there selfishness in my heart as I'm being challenged and invited into this season of generosity? Ananias never did that one time, so much to the point that Peter had to be the one to ask him, are you, why are you doing this? Why are you giving? So, all right, let's continue. I want to show you this other thing. So, that, so what's the problem with uh, living self, you know, selfish motive? The bottom line was, hey, you know, I mean, come on. P Peter was able to use the money for, for good. The church was able to apply the, the proceeds to the right people, and that God's work was still advanced. So what's the big deal? Okay, one guy has a bad motive. Is that going to mess everything up? Well, let's see. Verse number three, continuing. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your disposal? Why is it, in, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, you have, but you've lied to God. Let's stop there for just a moment. I want you to see the issue of the problem, why this is such a big deal, was because he lied to the Holy Spirit. So his self-motivation, again, that cesspool, that selfishness, brought about this manipulation and this lie um, to the Holy Spirit. It kind of, it speaks to us that he must have made a promise to the Holy Spirit. 
He must have gone into his bedroom with his wife and prayed and said, listen, honey, I believe God's stirring in my heart. We should be selling some property here. I think we should do this. Okay, let's just sell a property. They must have made a promise. God, I'll, t- I'll give you all of the proceeds to, this, to, the, to the actual church. But he lied. He didn't keep the end of the deal. When it came time to give, he set aside money for himself, and he only gave part to the Lord. There was a con- it was obviously um, the Holy Spirit called him out on this lie of keeping something back for himself. Here's your second point. If, um, if you want to live a selfishly generous life, then do not turn from your sin. Do not turn from your sin. In verse four, Peter's like pressing him heavily here. Man, w- before you even sold the property, you had the opportunity to correct this, this selfishness in your heart. And then you had the audacity to sell the property and bring it home. And then you had a conversation with your wife and then separated the money. You continued in your sin and you didn't turn from it. And then you had the, now you're standing before me at the altar and you're giving me a half promise. That's messed up. You should have turned from your sin when you had the chance. Did, here's a, I can't get this out of my mind. Did it, I, didn't Ananias think one time that the Holy Spirit could see everything and hear everything that he was saying and doing? Like, where did, why, why wouldn't he think that the Holy Spirit could hear that conversation? It's almost like he was oblivious. In fact, write this verse down. This, this will be an encouragement to you as you're stepping in this season of generosity. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Hebrews 4, verse 13 says this. No creature is hidden from his sight. Speaking about God. No creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Like, that is a scary verse. But Ananias was oblivious. Like, he just thought, man, I'm a, surely God don't care. I mean, I'm going to hook God up. I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to do exactly what I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to set some money for myself, and we're going to take care of it. And you know what? We're just going to, we're going to take, we're going to do it this way. It's sinning. I'm going to lie to the Holy Spirit. I know, but he's not going to care. That's what we see happening here. All right, go back to verse 3. I want you to see something. Notice this phrase, to keep back. Peter's confronting him. He says, you decided to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds. Underline or circle that phrase, to keep back. That phrase is actually only mentioned three times in the entire Bible. Two times in this passage, and the only other time it's mentioned is in the Greek Old Testament referring to a guy named Achan in the book of Joshua. Some of you guys know who Achan is. Let me explain to you. Back in the Old Testament, um, when when the nation of Israel was wandering in the desert, um, God promised that he was going to give them a special land. He was going to inhabit their land. He was going to give them an incredible piece of property. It was going to be amazing. God was going to show up and dwell among them and do amazing things through the nation of Israel. God was going to get the attention of the world through this nation. But in order to do that, they had to go conquer some land. So they had to go, through, in particular, they had to go to this land called Jericho. Jericho was known for its big old walls, big, massive walls that were impenetrable. You couldn't penetrate them. So God says, I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to knock the walls flat. All you have to do is walk around the walls seven times, and then after a seventh day, seven times, I'm going to just blow this ram's horn, which is a worship horn. I want you to worship me as loud as you can, and then watch what happens to the walls. So they worship the Lord, and the walls fall down, tumbling down, and they go in and conquer the land. There's only one thing the Lord told them that you need to know before you conquer this land. Whenever you get there, everything needs to be set aside to be burned, okay? But the, the, there's going to be gold and silver in that property. 
I don't want you to take any of the gold and silver. I want you to set that aside for me because guess what? We're going to build a temple one day, and that's going to be what we're going to use to build it with. So just don't, don't, don't take any of that money. That needs to be set aside for the Lord. This guy, Achan, was in the army. He winds and takes it, fights the battle, sees God do amazing things, but he takes some of the gold and silver home with him, goes to his tent, digs a little hole in the ground, and buries the gold and silver, covers it up like God didn't see. Come on, man. God didn't see that. God didn't hear that conversation. And so what happens is now Achan, is, because of him, they, the nation of Israel got their tushies whooped in the next battle. I mean, they got spanked. People lost their lives because of Achan's sin. Lost their lives because of Achan's sin. And God says, I'm not going to bless this until you get people in the camp to check the issues of their heart. There's somebody in the camp who's got sin there, and it will, I will not bless this thing moving forward until it gets dealt with. Did you hear the seriousness of that? Like all of us should have got a check in our spirit with that one. God's not going to move forward with the vision until we check the issues of our heart. But here what happens. Luke, when he's writing this particular story, he's telling us a story, he's intentionally connecting the dots for us. He's saying the same thing that Achan did in the Old Testament, covering up, burying the sin, is the same thing that happened here with Ananias and Sapphira. They kept back some of what belonged to the Lord. Don't do that. You know, one of the saddest part to me of this passage is what happens continuing on. Let's read, let's, what, happened, what happened to Ananias whenever he, uh, he, he didn't turn from his sin? And by the way, I'll make this statement. Real, it's, I want to make sure I say this. Anytime you are trying to deceive others or try to cover up the sin in your heart, some of us are doing that right now. You're trying to deceive people into thinking something that isn't true about yourself and you're covering up sin right now. In the most loving way I could possibly say it, Stop it. Stop it while you still have the chance. What needs to happen in that situation is you need to immediately drag the sin out into the light in the context of your small group or people that you know love you in this church. Get around people of the the family of God. Confess it. Drag it into the light. And what happens? Once you do that, you need to put a bullet in its head. Kill the sin. And then what happens? You turn away from that and don't go back to that because that is what can keep our church and litter our church up with all sorts of problems because of our issue in our heart. Are you hearing me? There's a heaviness here in this text. It goes personal and then it goes corporate. The things that we hide in our hearts can affect people that you won't even realize it can impact. In fact, let's see what happens in the story. Luke continues, he says, once Ananias, this is verse five, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. That means in the King James Version, he gave up the ghost, yo. He died, flat out, heard these words, and God, it's, it, it's, it means the, the spirit, his spirit was literally snapped out of him, drop of a hat, just snapped right out of him. That is amazing. There's, no, there's not even a medical definition for what just took place here. You can't call it a heart attack. All you can say is God did something scary here. All right, keep going. 
And Ananias heard these words. He fell down and he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. Great fear means great fear seized the people of the church, trembling, like what just happened? Keep going. And the young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now here's where the story gets really sad. Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. His wife, man, his wife. Not knowing what had happened to him. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. She's continuing the lie. Yes, yes, that's, that's exactly what we did. It's so sad. All right, look what happened. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last breath. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. Sometimes we think that our sin is only going to affect us. The things that we're keeping, we're deceiving other people, we're burying in our hearts. Sometimes we think it's going to affect only us, but the truth is it affects so many more people than you realize. Sometimes the people that are the closest to us hurt the most because of our sin. See, we're talking about generosity. How does this have to do with anything of generosity? Everything to do with generosity. Because we're talking about the church. Now, the good thing is Satan cannot kill the church, right? He can't, he can't conquer this church. God, Jesus made that very clear. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. But what he can do sometimes is he, can, can, he actually can corrupt the church. And that corruption can happen in our hearts if we don't check our motives and we don't turn from our sin when we have the chance. So let's keep going. I want to show you this third thing, and this is the third thing I want you to see for sure how you can know um, that you can live a selfishly generous life. Here we go. Third thing, if you want to live this kind of a life, definitely don't check your heart, definitely don't turn from your sin, but most assuredly, don't fear God. Don't you dare do that, because if you fear God, this whole plan is messed up. Someone say, yes, yes, mess the plan up. Yes, but here's the, let's keep going. I want you to see this. Verse, verse five, what happened after Ananias died? Breathe his last breath. The last part of verse five says, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Drop down to verse 11. What happened after his wife breathed her last breath? And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Here's the problem. If they would have feared God first, in the first place, this would have never happened. Because they didn't fear God, they never checked their motives. And that allowed selfishness to brew in their hearts, and selfishness popped up this ugly thing called deception, and deception causing him to lie to the Holy Spirit, never questioning Satan's motives there. Satan was all over him, like white on rice, and he didn't even know it. Had no clue. But he was manipulating him, and next thing you know, because he didn't check his motives, he didn't turn from his sin when he had the chance, now he's laying flat in the ground, buried because of his sin. Mark this down too. Your sin will take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you want to pay. And the truth is, it'll wrap you up, carry you out, and bury you, just like we saw in this text. It will. It will. Don't 
make that mistake. So if they would have feared God from the beginning, none of this would have ever happened. See, I don't believe, I'll say this, I don't believe that he didn't fear God. I believe he did fear God. He just had a small fear of God because he had a small view of God. I mean, he's, he thought he could trick God. I mean, what are you thinking? You think you could trick God, right? It's not a big, big deal. It's God. He's not going to care about what's going on in my life, right? Well, no, look at this. I want you to see, um, how can I compare this to a, in, a, in a way that makes sense to us in a, a clear in our day and age? Um, how many of you all like to watch nature? Like, you like nature people? I, who was I talking about? Mark, me and Pastor Mark were driving this week, and Jake, we were talking about, there's this, what is it called? The bird thing, the eagle thing. Yeah, Decora Eagle. You guys know what a Decora Eagle is? Anybody know what Nobody knows a clue. Okay, two people. Okay, all right. That makes me feel better because I had no clue what he's talking about. Um, anyway, there's this show on, on the internet you can watch. You watch this eagles like live life of an eagle, I guess. And it's something fun and entertaining people do. Um, anyway, um, I'm not a nature guy. I don't like nature normally. I just like to, I do like to be outside at times. But especially if I like to be outside, I like to watch rainstorms. Anybody with me? Like rains? Okay, okay. All right, that's good. Well, this will help me in my illustration then. Um, let's all, remember this as a kid. You guys remember, we're going to make a rainstorm in the room. We're going we're gonna to go like this. No, I'm kidding, we're not doing that. All right, just, anyway. Okay, so um, to help me illustrate this, sometimes we, we treat God like a rainstorm, thunderstorm. We have our sweet tea and we go on our front porch and we're watching the storms coming in and it's just the breeze is starting to blow a little bit. It's starting to get nice, cool a little bit. Uh, the rain's starting to become misty a little bit more. It's blowing on the porch, and it's just nice. You're admiring the comfort of your chair and admiring the beauty of creation while you're sipping on a nice sweet tea. But then the storm starts to get closer to you, right? And it's the, 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 the thunder starts to become louder. The rain starts to get more intense. Um, and eventually, the lightning starts to show up a little bit closer to home, right? Get a little nervous. Get a little nervous, right? We're getting a little nervous. Um, but then, next thing you know, the storm gets even closer where it's right on top of you. Now, the ground is shaking from the thunder, and like you're just in awe of what's happening before you. The rain's coming down hard, pelting the ground, and then out of nowhere, poof, lightning strikes the front yard. You get up real fast. Okay, it's time to go. Time to go. We're getting out of here. All right, we gotta get. that's what we do. Now, why do we pick up our chair and get out of, the, out of town when the storm comes and we're that close to the storm? Why did that happen? Because we're afraid of getting struck by the lightning, right? Because the storm, all of a sudden, is so close to us, we're afraid of it. See, before, it was comfortable. We, the, the storm was far away, not really close to us. It's far. I'm not really having too concern. I'm not too concerned about what's going on. But then when the storm got closer to you in proximity, you got extremely nervous. That's sometimes how we treat God. So here's the point of this entire text. An increasing fear of God will drive out any selfish motivation from your heart. An increasing fear of God will drive out any selfish motivation from a heart. The question I have, how do you increase in your fear of God? How do we do that? Like, that's the point of the message? Like, we see that Ananias and Fire, they didn't have an increasing fear. They had a small fear of God. But how do we, as a church, have an increasing fear of God? Just like the rainstorm. The closer we get to God the less comfortable we're going to be. We're not going to be able to sit casually in the presence of the Lord. The only thing, that, that when God gets close to us, we realize we can't manipulate him, we can't trick him, we can't just defy him and get away with it. The only thing that we can do as a church when we're close to God is worship him. That is the only response that is a right response. Say, so where are you getting that from? Think about it. It's all over the Bible. 
Isaiah is a good example. Remember when Isaiah got close to God and he saw God as he really is? Remember what he saw? He saw this heavenly being lifted high above the entire universe wearing this massive robe that filled the, the place he was standing. And next to him were two angels, next to God, two angels. With two wings they flew, with two wings they covered their eyes, and with two wings they, they, just, they just hovered, I guess. I don't know, they just covered their feet, I think is what it was. What's amazing about that text is it was scary, absolutely scary. And his response was, woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips. What's he doing, church? Checking his heart. He's checking his heart. I'm checking my motives. I'm not right. I'm suspect of my heart. And when I check my heart, I'm, I, I get on my, I'm, I'm, I'm unclean, God. There's sin in my heart. I need to turn from this. And he worships God in that moment. So we're talking about radical generosity as a church. Radical generosity is really produced when we're radically worshiping God. The closer we get to God, the more we're going to fear God and we're going to check our motives and turn from our sin. Let's not make the same mistake they made, but instead, let's be a worshiping church. Let's be a radically worshiping church. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? Let's worship this King of Kings. The song we're going to sing is there's no one like you, God. I don't want to stay in the comfortable, casual Christianity. I don't want to go to a comfortable, casual church. I want to go to a wild church. I want to go to a church where God shows up and does what I can't predict, does what only he can do, where he gets the glory. Because church, there's no one like our God. Let's sing together.